What's up? I'm Tyler. And I'm Dakota. And this is the Bourbon and Business Podcast. Where we interview successful businessmen and women to let you in on why success doesn't have a single formula to follow. We also have a little bourbon tasting along the way, because why not? Why not? Why not? So guys, please enjoy this episode and let us know your thoughts at Bourbon and Business Podcast on Instagram. Coming to you from the Bourbon and Business Studio here in the Capitol Club in Jackson, Mississippi. I'm Tyler. And I'm Dakota. And this is the Bourbon and Business Podcast. How you doing this morning, Dakota? I'm great, Tyler. I'm on the 19th floor in this wonderful building overlooking Jackson's beautiful scenery. Yes, yeah, so very beautiful. Uh, we want to give a shout out. Um, we have a new sponsor, the Capitol Club here in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, it is in the Capitol Towers building on the 19th floor, and if you have not checked it out, it is one of the nicest places in Jackson, Mississippi, with a awesome view, probably the best view in Jackson. Oh, yeah, so, no doubt. So you can go online, uh, Google the Capitol Club in Jackson, Mississippi, and you can see all their membership details. They do lunch every day, um, just a great atmosphere here and a great place to network with other business leaders a bunch of different packages that you can choose from as well as different events and things like that that they host all the time check them out well you want to introduce our guest to us today i do i do today we have our first virtual guest out of athens georgia mr brennan mcgoldrick owner of scout brokerage brennan it's a pleasure to have you on the show today no, it's, the pleasure's all mine. I really appreciate you guys inviting me, and uh, congratulations on the new spot there. It's cool. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, uh, sorry you wore a dog shirt today, so, you know. Yeah. Well, I uh, I didn't know your allegiance, so I figured maybe I could get some conversions <laughs> here. Uh, anybody wants to come support the champs. Right, right. Well, there there's a lot to be said about that. There is. There is. Um, Do you want to introduce our bourbon to us today? Uh, Yeah. So today you brought us some Wild Turkey 101. And it is 101 proof, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey, and it's got a nice bottle. There's a turkey on it, uh, as in the name. All right. What do you think? So, I mean, it's kind of unfair because this is probably my go-to bourbon Okay. when I drink. So, I mean, I'm not going to – it's not a 10, but for the price and for the taste – I'm definitely gonna have to rank it at a nine point zero. A nine point oh. Okay. Yeah. And That's I mean strong. that and that may just be because, you know, it's my go to bourbon, but I, I like some wild turkey. Good deal. Well, Brennan, um glad to have you on this morning. We always like to start this off. Just give our listeners kind of your background, where you grew up, where you're from, and then how you got into the business that you're in today. Yeah, so I appreciate the question. Uh, it, I'll try to keep a long story short for you guys, but I grew up in Macon, Georgia, which, um, you know, I heard another episode of your podcast. I understand you guys know Macon as the home of Jason Aldean. I understand Dakota, you're a huge, huge fan. <laughs> and, uh, I, look, as soon as you I, said I, that, his eyes lit up. <laughs> I presume that's my belt buckle is beaming right now. Yeah, right. And uh, I assume you've been to Macon and visited the monuments and all that stuff for Jason Alby. But forget the Almond Brothers. That's uh, that's where we're hanging our hat these days. So I actually, uh, I actually started my uh, professional career as a veterinarian. So I worked uh, as a practicing veterinarian for about eleven years, still maintaining a veterinary license, uh, which is kind of a roundabout way to get uh, to business brokerage, but. You know, after about five or six years of being a veterinarian, I was you know, kind of 
feeling a little bit unfulfilled, decided to go back to business school to get an MBA. And I was, uh, I was sitting at a bar actually tying bourbon and business together for you guys here. So I was sitting at a bar with my economics professor and he's like, you know, what are you doing working for other people? You, you really should own your own business, own your own practice. And so that's what I did. You know, I took his advice, uh, went out, uh, bought a practice with a business partner and just worked like a dog. And, uh, grew that practice um, pretty substantially just from hard work. You know, uh, I, I was on a, a small island off the coast of Georgia called St. Simon's Island, which is you know, not a huge population, but funny enough, three of my clients were veterinary specific business brokers. So you know, every time I see them with their pets, they're like, hey, sell your business, sell your business, sell your business. Um, I was only 35 years old at the time, but one of those brokers, um, I, I offered her some free drugs for her dog and so i'll give you some free heartworm prevention if you give me a valuation of my business so we we made that handshake deal uh six months later i had the business sold and you know didn't have didn't have much else going on but, you know wasn't a practicing vet anymore i had a business degree and so the broker who sold my business said hey why don't you come work for me you know you know this industry uh you know business uh it makes a lot of sense for you to think about business brokerage so i just kind of dipped my toe in the water uh, but jumped in head first pretty quickly after that. Uh, it's a, it's a unique twist on what I was doing, uh, from, you know, just practicing as a vet to selling only veterinary practices to now with scout, you know, selling other businesses too. And it's been fun, but it's been, it's been a journey to get here. That's for sure. Well, that's pretty cool. You know, one of our mottos is all great ideas start with bourbon. So, you know. yeah. Hey, hey. Yeah. yeah we will. So we you touched on one thing. Uh, you touched on one thing, t- you know, you're in the bris- business brokerage business now. Tell us a yeah. little bit about that. How does that work and what does that look like? Yeah. So business brokerage, you know, is, um, you know, kind of has, kind of has a bad name to it. Right. I mean, I think a lot of people think of, of brokers and, and really anybody who works kind of on commission basis as, as maybe hangers on that sort of thing. I'm out to kind of change that perception, but business brokerage is, a little bit like real estate brokerage, right? Where you are evaluating someone's asset who is looking to sell that asset for whatever reason, um, trying to find a buyer at the right price. Um, and people sell their businesses for various reasons. The most common probably be retirement, right? But some people realize they're sitting on a very valuable asset. They want to convert that asset into liquid cash. And then, and then you have some folks who just find themselves in bad situations. I heard Another one of your guests, I think his name was Martin, talk about a family member who inherited a business that she didn't know anything about, right? And I deal with situations like that, um, you know, helping people with death, illness, divorce, you know, who need to unload an asset, but also need to, you know, to get the value for that asset. So, um, you know, work with, work with all kinds and, uh, it's, it's a process. It's typically a much longer process than much longer process, excuse me, than selling your house. Um, you know, building a relationship, valuing the business, identifying a buyer, going to closing. It can take a while, but it's uh, it, it, it's fun to meet new people, uh, to see new businesses, and, and really to help people uh, in, in a couple different ways. Are you seeing in the current economic climate that we're in right now, what are you seeing as far from a business selling standpoint? Has that picked up? Has that dropped off? Or what does that look like? Yeah, I think it's picked up in the sense that a lot of people want to sell their businesses, right? You know, I think we're in a, a unique spot as small business owners that it's really tough to recruit and retain good talent. And, and a lot of people call me 
because of burnout, right? Because they can't find good help and, and they want to, you know, exit that and maybe move to something else. I, I think, you know, we're also in a climate where it just seems like the whole world's angry, right? And a lot of business owners, especially small business owners, bear the brunt of that, right? I had somebody call me and said, I'm just so tired of responding to negative Google reviews that I, I just don't want to own this anymore. So I think there's definitely a, a market to sell. You know, buyers are running into increased cost of capital, right? It's um, it's a tough market. Interest rates are so much higher. And two years ago, you could go borrow money at 3% to buy a business. And those days are those days are gone. Uh, and those interest rates not only affect the individual who wants to buy a business, but also the group's backed by private money, right? You know, with interest rates higher, people expect higher returns. So uh, we're seeing, I think, more willing sellers, maybe less capable buyers, if that makes sense. So have you also seen a, a generational difference? Um, I work in trust and estate administration. And so I feel like there's a lot of, there were a lot of baby boomers who may have started a business and grew it to, you know, 10 million, 20 million, $100 million, however much it is. And you know, they've got two, three, four kids and they're like, I just don't want to, I just don't want to run it. I don't, I, I saw the headache that it, you know, put my parents through. I saw the hassle that it was and I just don't want that for my life. And so they're like, I'd rather sell it, take the 50 million or however much the business is worth and, yeah. and invest it and, and be in like real estate or something like that. I, I completely agree with you. I, I think there are, and maybe I'm aging myself a little bit here, but <laughs> You know, there are some generational differences between people who are maybe at retirement age currently at what we would traditionally think of as retirement age currently. You know, meet a lot of people who are 65, 70, they want to sell their business and and they remember a time when they started it, right? And they were working 80 to 100 hours a week, seven days a week by themselves, not making any money. I'm not sure that, you know, a younger generation really, really has that. And that's not to paint everybody with the same brush, right? But I think there are certainly some generational differences in who's willing to put in the work. Because if you own a small business, whether you do a million in revenue or a hundred million in revenue, I mean, you're working really, really hard, right? And and one of the first things you learn in business school is you're not going to own a business and work 40 hours a week. If you want to work 40 hours a week, you can go, go work for somebody else. And so... You know, I do think there, I think it kind of relates to what we were talking about earlier, trouble with recruiting and retaining talent, right? I think there is also a gap forming where, where people say, hey, do I want to own a business? You know, is it is it easier to work for somebody else and clock out than to be the one responsible for that business all the time? Sure. Maybe, I'm, maybe I'm off base there, but yeah, I would, I would agree that I, I see some generational differences for sure. Yeah, I think uh, our generation is more the microwave generation. We want everything instantly. And the the idea is hard for people to grasp that the hard work comes before the reward. And I think that that's missed a lot on our generation. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I agree 100%. What is it like being a business owner in this current economic climate? Yeah, it's tough for some of the reasons we mentioned before, right? I mean, I think the general public can be a little bit challenging to deal with at times, right? Um, you know, I was uh, I was looking at some Google reviews for business the other day and had a one-star review. I think it was a restaurant, right? Nice. And, yeah, it really, really got to me because the review said, hey, I've been here 20 times. I always had a great experience, but this time it was really slow. So they went up and put up a one-star review for them, right? Where are the 25-star reviews? And, you know, I think it's just tough for small business owners. I had a, a business owner call me the other day and said, everyone's just so mad all the time. And, you know, why that is is probably a subject for, for another day. But, 
uh, it's tough. You know, I mean, economic climate obviously is, is tough to borrow money right now. It's tough to obtain new equipment when you're paying maybe 10, 11% interest rates on things like that. So it's a, it's a tough environment for everybody right now, but I really go back to the recruitment and retention of, of great employees, people who really care. You know, they're not just there to collect the paycheck. They care. No one will ever care about your business as much as you do, but, you know, to find those people that, that can really help you along the way is, is tough. So it's a, it's a tough environment, but there are still really successful small businesses out there. You know, if you found a niche, you found a void and you've filled that void uh, by creating a solution to a problem, you know, those are really good businesses. And there are people making a lot of money with small businesses right now. Um, but there are some people really struggling and, and I can't find help. It's, it's probably the most common thing that I hear. We're seeing a, a trend now towards uh, just the populace. They've always been in charge, but now they're almost overly in charge, right? Like you just said, that one star review can ruin a track record. And I see the the right. office portraits behind you of, of all the characters yeah. from the the hit TV show. And I'm a huge yeah. office fan myself. So my wife and I used to watch it all the time, but there's an episode where Dwight owns a bed and breakfast, right? And Jim and Pam yeah. are staying at it and uh, they find it on a, a trip advisor type website. And he's like, Oh my gosh, there's a, there's a bad review or, or something like that about the, the review on the website and it's he he yeah. makes this huge deal out of this one review but it's important and he he says it's like the lifeblood of a of a small business like a bed and breakfast would be um you know because that one bad review just somebody reads it and they're like oh it's bad service i don't want to go there anymore yeah or even worse they don't read it they just look at the at the star right yeah. and look at the one star i, I think you know, that's it, it's a big thing that, and I think social media plays into that too, right? We see that a lot in the space where I was, the veterinary space. You know, people are really passionate about their pets, but they're not afraid to let loose on a veterinarian on social media. And there, there are some documented stories of, of people who, um, you know, took their own lives because of, of the backlash they got for you know their treatment of an animal. And so, oh my uh, and that happens in all industries. I don't mean to say it's just the veterinary industry, but I, I think there's just so much pressure on small business owners. Like those reviews, like Dwight jumped up to look at that review, right? Because, you know, you worry about that. And every small business owner I talk to worries about those reviews. And so I think they have their place. I mean, it's nice to know if I'm going to a restaurant with rats running across the table, right? But you know, I, I do think it, it it's just an added stressor. I mean, think about any small business owner who's who's doing a job, right? They're building swimming pools or they're seeing patients or whatever. The stress of running a business on top of that, I mean, that's that's pretty extreme, right? That's a lot. It's basically two jobs at once. You get 40 hours a week doing your day job and you, you do spend the rest of the time, you know, doing the payroll and paying the bills and that sort of thing. And then yeah, for Google to pop up like, "Hey, somebody didn't like the work you did today." It's that's tough, and I, and I think it, uh, it 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 brings people to a point where they say, "Hey, I just don't want to do this anymore," right? Or like like the children you were talking about who don't want to stress like their parents stressed. And so, you know, I think we we find ourselves in situations a lot where we're really helping people out, right? And that sounds a little bit cliche, but you know, people say, "Look, I just don't want to do this," and and I don't. I don't like this. I'm I'm unhappy, and, and I think we can help people out of some of those situations. So, um, yeah, it's 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 a challenge, and, and you're right. I mean, you know, there's a movement for you know for things like that. So I agree with you 100. Yeah, I think social media and the internet in general has made people lose the personal connection and the personal touch. That hey, 
when you go post a one star review, like you're not posting a review about that restaurant as much as you are about the person that owns that restaurant. And, you know, it affects that individual, you know, more than it actually, you know, when they just look at this, oh, I'm just posting about the restaurant. No, you're affecting an individual when you do that. Um, and I think people have just, I, I don't, I don't know if they're not aware that they're doing that or they don't care. But well, they're detached from yeah. it because it's not f- affecting right. them right in that moment. So it's it's just leaving a review. I'm going to let everybody else know the horrible experience that I had. And right. studies have shown that people are like, I don't know, two to five times more likely probably to post a negative review than a positive one because you're expecting a positive experience. So when you get a positive experience, you're like, that's what I expected. I'm not going to go leave a review. But if you're expecting a negative experience, you get a great one. I'm going to go leave a review and let people know that this is, this is a good, a good spot. Right. Right. But if you get a negative experience, then you're like, I got to let everybody know not to spend their money here. Yeah. Yeah, So that's a really interesting episode. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was going to say to all the listeners, no negative reviews. (laughs) Yeah. No negative reviews. I watched a really interesting episode. I think it was 60 minutes. It talks about the more hateful you are in your online speech, the more likely you are to get retweeted and shared and liked. And you know, the more vitriol you throw in there. And you know, circling back, I mean, small business owners are bearing the brunt of a lot of that stuff, and, and so that's that's uncertainty. Yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense. You know, typically the videos that go viral are something negative. Not, I mean, every yeah. now and then you see a positive one go viral, but mo- for the, the most part, it's something negative. So, yeah, the more negative the better, right? Well, you touched on one thing. You said you know people having trouble finding employees, people to work. What do you think is causing that? Why Why do you think that there's such a shortage in good employees and being able to find someone to work somewhere long term? Yeah, I mean, you know, that could be a controversial topic, I guess. I mean, some people would say it's probably cheaper to sit at home and, and not work or, or, you know, I guess more financially advantageous to sit at home and, and not work uh, for various reasons. I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like if I could crack the code there, you know, maybe I'd have something. That's the people seem to want jobs, but not necessarily want to work. And and maybe it is a generational thing. Again, I mean, I just, I just sound like an old man saying, get off my lawn, right? Like maybe, maybe that's it. Um, maybe people just uh, have, have changed what they want. I think people, you know, see income inequality as, as a reason for that, but uh, that's a, a controversial political topic. I probably shouldn't weigh it into, but I, I think uh, it's definitely out there, right? And it has been for a few years now. It seems like we came out of that kind of COVID period in this situation where there's just nobody to work. Uh, but it, that's a tough question to answer, I think. Well, and I think a lot of this goes back to the internet. You know, it's so easy to find a job now. I mean, you go on the internet and they're posted everywhere. You apply from your house, send it over on the computer, whereas you used to, you'd have to go into that business, you know, are y'all hiring, have someone refer you somewhere, and then you have to go in for an interview. And a lot of that is done over Zoom now. So I think the ease of finding a job creates this uh, almost the grass is greener on the other side type mindset. And, you know, I I feel like there's a lot of job hopping going on now that people don't, you know, I think the numbers show people don't work places, you know, more than five years typically. Right. And, you know, this this new thing called quiet quitting, right, where you show up for work, but you are doing the absolute bare minimum allowed to collect a paycheck, I think is just as hard, right? I mean, if I have 10 employees, but they're all doing as little as possible, I might as well not have any, right? So, yeah, I think there's there are a lot of trends happening. You know, it'd be nice to know why. Well, I think this is a good time for a bourbon break. Yeah. So it was good. I like it. 
it's not my favorite, and I know that bears weight since this is your favorite, Tyler. I'm sorry, though. But it is very smooth. Um, it's tasty. I'm going to stop at an 8.5. 8.5. 8.5. Well, thank you for that. Make the math a little difficult for you. That's pretty good. Yeah, you know, if somebody came up and told you you look, like, how do I look? Well, you're a 9. You're an 8.5. You feel pretty good about yourself, right? So, like, That's a great point. That bottle, That's a great so, point. That bottle should feel great about itself. Right. So, if someone called me an 8.5, I'd be thrilled. Yeah. Good it deal. wasn't a one-star review. There so. you go. There you go. Definitely <laughs> wasn't a one-star. Um, all right. Back to the podcast. So right along the lines where we were just talking, I think uh, there's been a priority shift in what people think is important as far as their work environment. I read an article the other day of a lady turning down a huge raise because – and she actually took a position that paid less than what she was currently making because her employer wanted her to come to work, and a priority of hers was to work remote. And she said, I've never not missed a deadline. I've never not missed a, um, a quota or whatever that she had going on. Why would I now have to come to work just because you say so? And so that priority for her was to have that flexibility of remote work. So she took a different position <laughs> that was within like 30 miles of her house where she actually lived so that she could continue to work for that job, but continue to also work remotely. Um, wow. because you had to live within like a 30 mile radius of the office or something like that. And I was like, man, that's a, I mean, that's a huge shift for her because our i feel like my gener- me my parents generation will be like hey you know we're going to offer you tens of thousands of more dollars to do this other job you got to come into the office we'd have been like shoot sign me up you know um Absolutely. let's let's go for it but it's just uh where are your priorities at and if that's a priority for you that's 100 percent okay but it's going to take this shift of um everybody shifting around after covid to figure out where their priorities are, what companies have that priority in mind as well. And then everybody's just kind of doing this mix up right now. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody's different. You know, I, I prefer to go to the office, but you know, I mean, I guess that there's people out there that prefer to work from home. So, you know, I guess it, as a business, you've got to be flexible to what your employee wants, if, if you're able to, to give them the option, right. if, if they can work from home. Cause you know, it sounds to me like that this person you're talking about was a great employee. You know, it's almost like, why would you, not give her the option to work from home. So, but you know, I, I think as businesses, we've, we've got to be flexible. Well, Brennan, what makes your business different from how others operate in the, the brokerage world and how, and what's the best way to evaluate a business? Yeah. So, you know, to answer your first question, I, I think, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, I, I think brokers, financial advisors, you know, anybody who works on commission tends to have a bit of a reputation that's just, kind of a hanger on, right? And and I don't want to be that guy. So if I said, you know, what makes my business different? I, you guys, maybe I'm aging myself again. Like Jerry Maguire is one of my favorite movies, right? Like Jerry walked out. Good know, movie. <laughs> yeah, right? Walked out with Flipper and his mission statement, right? And I, I think, you know, the difference for me is I, I want to be someone that people can rely on. They expect callback right away. I don't want to sell 100 businesses a year, right? There's no way I can provide the level of service that people want selling that many businesses a year, right? But I want to, in my own little niche, kind of change the narrative, right? That this guy can help me out, maybe out of a bad situation. Maybe he can just put a bunch of money in my bank account. Uh, But that, you know, most of my clients become personal friends after the fact. And and that's what I'd like to do is continue to serve a few rod tidwells, right? And, And not, you know, the entire team. And so, you know, that's how I'd like to be a little bit different. I'm not looking to take over the take over the world, but provide really good service to to a few clients. 
you know, how do you evaluate your business? That's that's tough, right? That's the first question anybody ever asks me is, hey, what's my business worth? And the, the short answer to that is it's worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. You know, I mean, there are formulas in place. There are valuation analysts in place. There, there's a, a pretty simple math equation. You know, how much do you make in a year? Times a multiplier is the value of your business, right? That's how most people look at business valuation. And I think that's a fair way to look at it. But it adds a lot of subjectivity. You know, how much do you really make in a year? You know, how much of your expenses are discretionary? You know, how much are you not expensing? For example, if you as the owner are doing all the work, there's got to be some sort of salary baked in for that. And, you know, the second part of that is the multiplier. Maybe, maybe your business is worth three years of profits. Maybe it's worth 10 years. And, and I think there's, there's guidelines, you know, there are rules people follow, but I always come back to the fact that, your business is worth what somebody can or will pay for it. And, you know, I think as people start to think about an exit, it makes sense to think about it before it's time, right? If you are at a point where you've got to sell right away, you can get into a fire sale situation. But if you start to think in advance, okay, what's the value? What, what problem am I solving? How many competitors do I have? You know, am I making money, right? If I'm a small business looking to sell to an individual buyer, can someone come in, and put a bunch of debt on this business and still pay themselves a good salary, that's a business that's, that's in demand. If not, why am I not making money? Are there things I can fix? You know, can I improve my cost of goods? Can I streamline my labor? You know, what can I fix to really position this business to be sold? You know, what's it worth? You know, there, there are equations to do that, but you get 10 business brokers or business evaluators involved, they'll give you 10 different numbers, right? And, and I think, it's important to be honest with people about that. And there are certain situations with really high value businesses where you don't even have to set a price. You, know, you can go out there and solicit bids from people because you know there are businesses that are in such demand. But for your average small business being sold to somebody who's going to go through the SBA, you know, the SBA is going to do their own business valuation, right? So you've got to be in that range where, where you can justify the purchase price and, and really understand where that number came from. Uh, but I, I think for anybody uh, who owns a business, it's always good to kind of know the value of your asset, right? And and what are you doing correctly? What are you doing that can improve the value? And, you know, I, I think a lot of times kind of running the business may run counter to what people want to do, right? If they say, hey, I want to be kind of the low cost provider of, of whatever service in my area, you know, when it comes time to sell, that might come back to bite you a little bit. And so I think people need to sort of make sure they're looking at it from the lens of what's this going to be worth on paper to somebody else. So um, it, it's it's a tough question with a variable answer, but to value a business uh, is, is certainly an important first step in the process. Well, that's some great info there, uh, Brennan. One question we have for you, since you're not able to partake in the whiskey with us, um, yeah. give us your favorite office character. My favorite office character. Oh, that's a tough one. You know, most days I probably feel like Stanley, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I'd rather do my crosswords and just sit back and uh, mm-hmm. so probably Stanley, I guess. Although uh, I enjoy Andy. I wish I had the musical talents of Andy, but Stanley is, is probably who I would identify with. I did a personality test of what kind of dog breed of mine. I was a basset hound, said like lazy, just sort of sits around. Nice. So I feel like I feel like Stanley most of the time. That's a fantastic answer. I love Stanley. Well, thanks for coming on today. For all our listeners out there listening, say that they have a business and they say, hey, I'm wanting to sell my business or they're saying, hey, I want to buy a business. How can they get in touch with you to start that process? 
Yeah. So um, first thing to say is there's no cost for that, right? And we talk to anybody, we can look at business valuation. We don't charge fees or anything like that. The only time we ever get paid is if we successfully sell something. They can reach out, uh, look through the website, uh, scoutbusiness.com, shoot me an email, give me a call, text on my personal cell. I'm always available. That's kind of the kind of the key here is to always be available for people. I got you. Do you want to put your email out there? Yeah, absolutely. It's Brennan, B-R-E-N-N-A-N at scoutbusiness.com. Great. Well, thank you to all our listeners for tuning in today. And if you would, if you go on social media and give us a follow and find the podcast wherever you stream it and give us a rating. And we'll see you next week. Five-star rating, preferably. Yeah, yeah please. <laughs> thank Thanks, you guys Brennan. very much for the invitation. I absolutely. appreciate it. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you have any feedback or would like to be featured, reach out to us at bourbonandbusinesspodcast at gmail.com. Or find us on Instagram at bourbonandbusinesspodcast. Thanks again for listening. Follow us for more content and info on the next episode.